there's a difference between a Christian and a disciple. This is an this is a important distinction to come to because if you don't understand that it's a difference be, between being born again and being a disciple, then many of the statements of Jesus will confuse you. Uh, we are saved by our simple faith in Christ. There are no conditions involved in salvation other than the acknowledgement that Christ died for our sins, the, the, the submission of our will to that truth. God gives us the faith. We place the faith in the, the atonement of Jesus on the cross, and at that moment we're born again. But that does not make us a disciple. It begins us on a path that hopefully leads to discipleship. Because when you come to Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, he's going to say things like this. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself. Uh, If any man comes after me, let him love me more than mother and father. And we're going to find an instance in the text today that Jesus places conditions on discipleship, a choosing, if you will, after you're born again, whether you will walk the path with him. Now, one of the things I'm going to be strong on tonight is the fact that we're eternally saved once we're saved. This does not affect whether we're saved or not, but this does affect our growth in Christ and eventually rewards in heaven, and how God can use us. And they give you an analogy to help you understand. When uh, we had quite a lively discussion up in Steve's classroom this morning about the nature of Christ within us. Wish you could have been there if you weren't. It was fascinating. God placed within us his spirit the moment we got saved. The nature of Christ is in us. Discipleship is simply our decisions to allow that nature to play out. You know Cooper's still a pup. He's a little four-month-old Jack Russell, and he's still getting uh, his feet wet in life. And I brought him out to use the bathroom at 6 o'clock a couple mornings ago. And uh, there at the glass door on the back where I let him out was a cat looking in at us. The neighbor's cat. I was cold out what, what he was doing. Cooper didn't see the cat. I picked Cooper up so he didn't see the cat. I went like that. The cat left. I opened the door and looked out the door to make and the cat scurried around the side. I never allowed Cooper to see the cat. He's too young. I don't want him to be afraid of that cat. Now, there'll come a day in the months preceding that that I, when I see a cat... I will say, Sikkim Cooper. And that'll be the last time that cat ever looks in at my back door. I guarantee you that. Because he has the nature of a Jack Russell in him. It's going to come out. But he's too little now to to let that happen. I don't want to have a bad experience early in life. This is what we do in parenting. The nature is within us, in Christ. But when we're young, when we're first born again, we're just getting our feet wet, and Christ carries us for a while. But then he sets us down. 
And he says, yeah, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but I want you to eat. I want you to grow. He's getting longer. His nose is getting longer. He's developing. We are to develop. That's called discipleship. It's not adding something to our salvation. It's simply the manifestation of the nature he placed within us when we were born again. That's what we are to rely on. But there are choices to be made, and he makes it clear in chapter 8. Look at verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Now this is a classic example of a literary show, Don't Tell. Authors can do one of two things. They can either tell you what the character's thinking and doing, or they can show you by his actions. Most of the time, it's better to show than tell. Here we have Jesus showing us his reaction to the crowd by, of all things, leaving it. Can you imagine? You know, I've got to get into the disciples' minds at this point, the apostles. He's making all the wrong moves early in ministry. He's coming in contact with lepers. He's talking to Gentiles. And when the crowds show up, instead of playing the crowd, using the crowd, spreading his popularities, he takes off. They're like, what are you doing? They can't figure him out. I think that's great ministry when we can't figure him out. We're just randomly following him wherever he goes. He takes off from the, why would he, why? and he always does. Now, there were occasions when he fed the 5,000 or more. There were another occasion he fed more than that, or 3,000. Why, at this point, does he take off? A few thoughts. He didn't want the popularity of being simply a miracle worker. There was something more profound that was going on, and he was going to save them from their sins. Very little work could be done in a large crowd. He preferred individuals. He also preferred training the men that were going to be around him for when he was gone. You can't get that time in a massive crowd. You can't. So his reaction to the crowd was leave. And he gave orders, I like that because he's a king, and that's what he does. He commands. He gave orders to go over to the other side. I kind of think he might have, 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 have had to give orders because the men were looking at him like, let's stay here. And he had to be strong with them and say, no, we're leaving. On their trip down to the Sea of... By the way, let's, let's throw up that first picture, Kenneth, to show you exactly. Ah, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. One more. There it is. Sea of Galilee. See it there? Where were they to go over? In the upper left-hand corner is Capernaum. See Capernaum? There's, there's towns down along the Sea of Galilee on the left-hand side. But you notice very little on the right-hand side. It's kind of deserted. Those are the Goland Heights, if you will. 
do, do you see the, the, on that right-hand side the lines going down through those heights? That was a very mountainous side, and on that mountainous side, there were valleys, canals, open areas where the wind could get and whip down into. We've all been in buildings where the, where the wind whipped through between the buildings, and there was this rushing sound. You'll need to know this in just a few minutes. Not now, but in a few minutes. The wind whips down, and they can, those wind tunnels, if you will, can create a storm on the Sea of Galilee in a matter of minutes. It can be placid, and then within a matter of minutes, whipped into a frenzy. Kind of like life, isn't it? But that's the Sea of Galilee. That's where they were to go over, into almost no man's land. All right, let's take a look at the interruption in verse 19. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now this was a man who was a scribe. He was a learned intellectual, wrote down the scriptures, copied the scriptures, very well respected. And Jesus' ministry was having an incredible impact on this man. For him to say this to a Jewish carpenter, of all things, Rabbi, wherever you go, I will follow. You know, the other 12 might be hesitant. I'm not. You might have had to order them. You don't have to order me. Maybe a reaction to that. Look what Jesus says to him. Conditions. Here they go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Stop right there. What do you know about a fox? Well, they're smart. Smart as a fox. They're clever. I talked to a farmer once that had chickens in his backyard, and he built this contraption with this gate down into the ground where the fox couldn't burrow under it. And sure enough, the fox couldn't burrow under it. But he showed me where he created an alley underneath this or that and got into it and and dug up a hole. He couldn't get under the hole, but he created a hole as a trap. And when those chickens would walk around that pen, and chickens aren't real smart, they would fall into that hole and then he'd He'd reach in and grab him and pull him back out, and off with a chicken he'd go. Smart. Foxes. But as smart as a fox is, he has a hole. He has a resting place. He has somewhere that's an address. That at night when he lays his head down, he can lay down in security, knowing that this is my hole. I've got holes on the back of my property. I have no idea what lives in those holes. Once, a, once in a while, I pour chemicals down those holes. I'm scared of what's in the holes. You know, there was a, there was a rattlesnake, a six-foot rattlesnake on the back of my property. So don't be too harsh with me when I talk about pouring chemicals down those holes. I'm hoping that rattlesnake will come out all blistered. Foxes have holes. 
places to hang their hats. They have security. Notice what else he says. Not only that which crawls on the ground, but that which flies through the air. Birds of the air have nests. As free as they look, as fun as they look, they have a place for resting. They have a home, a place to raise their young, to defend. Then Jesus says this, but the Son of Man. Now, anytime Jesus used the Son of Man, he always had reference to a particular angle of his Messiahship. It was his favorite term. He used the Son of Man more than any other term for himself. He loved it. The Son of Man was always a reference to his connection to humanity. And even more than that, it was a connection to what man should have always been. What Adam should have been. How Adam should have turned out. If he'd made the right choices in the garden, he and Eve would have gained eternal life from eating the fruit of the tree of life. And that perfect man of Adam would have been at that point sinless and he would have walked on water, walked through buildings. He would have commanded the creation that he was given. We don't know what that perfect man would have looked like until Jesus came along. He was God's model of what we were supposed to look like. Karen had uh, dental surgery, and they numbed a part of her mouth, and then they put the Novocaine in, because when she came home, her lip was all curled up like that. She said, Mike, do you think this is going to go down? I said, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I've seen reports of nerve damage where people have had to live with that stuff all their lives. (laughs) Really? I think so. Did we all go down? Before we went out to eat, I said, can you get it to go down? I feel like I'm going out to eat with a clown over there. (laughs) I've gone too far now. She knows I love her. It finally went down. This is not what Karen's supposed to look like. The beautiful face that she has is what she's supposed to look like. What we were supposed to look like is not what we look like now. We were supposed to look like this. We look like this. So the Son of Man, when he references himself, is referencing all of us and what we ought to look like. So let's go on. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. God, is it wrong to have a home? Is it wrong for the fox to have a hole? Should we not have a place to hang our hats? What is Jesus telling us about discipleship and about what our lives ought to consist of? I don't know about you, but I want to lay down somewhere, the same place I laid down last night and the night before, and I want to die where I'm laying down right now. I don't want to go anywhere else. Is that wrong? I don't think so. Jesus had a place to lay his head. He just didn't have a consistent place to lay his head. Watch that. 
He had to lay his head down somewhere. It was different every night. Or most nights. What is he telling us? That those who follow me must not be tied to this world. That those who follow me must understand that this world is not their home. And that their home is not the important thing where they lay their head. Man, we were created for something way above our our personal possessions. And we are people who love the toys, do we not? But do the toys own us is the question. What's important in life? Well, where I live, what I drive, what I float on. It's not. Jesus was homeless. You want to say that? Now, are we to be homeless? I don't think that's a good idea. But we are to live as those who are homeless. Realizing that our home is in glory. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know the rest of it. This world is not my home. Those who follow me must take their hearts off their possessions and put them on me. You know all that stuff can be taken away in a moment. You know that. Verse 21. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now you need to understand the culture this was spoken of because he wasn't talking about his father at the point of death. He wasn't. In this Eastern culture, there was a practice that still goes on today where the son of a father stays with that father until he is dead. Whether that takes five years, ten years, twenty years, most likely in this case, the father was fine. No physical problems. But he said, let me stay with him until I bury him. Notice Jesus' response. This is the second condition that he gives to this second man. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me. Not then, now. Follow me right now. Leave everything and everyone behind and follow me. Is it wrong to bury your father? Kyle, you know you're going to do it someday. We're all going to bury our fathers if the Lord tarries. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to be faithful to relationships? Yes and no. Yes, if it causes us not to follow Jesus Christ. There is to be no possession that comes before him. There is to be no person that comes before him. You are to have no title that restricts you from your relationship to Jesus Christ. 
Nothing holding you back. A mate that doesn't want to serve Jesus Christ, so you don't serve him. No. Tough stuff, isn't it? How much do we allow those around us close to us to hinder our walk in following Jesus Christ? That is to be abandoned. And there are relationships at times to be severed. Most of the time when we begin to follow Jesus Christ, regardless of if he or she or they are doing it, usually the opposite occurs where they begin to follow Christ. But not always. Conditions. Let the dead go bury the dead, he says. Look at that. Now, why does he say that? Leave, follow me, and leave the dead to bury the dead. Because those who are sent, those who are centered on relationships and are ignoring their divine relationship with Christ are living as dead men. There's only so much we can draw from our relationships from one another. There's no life in there apart from a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. When our whole lives are is him or her or the child in our home or the parent in our life or that friend you draw from, if that's your life, you're dead. Now the amazing thing is when we come to Christ and we follow him and he becomes our very life, all those other relationships like that relationship with the father, the son, everything around him becomes alive and real and vital and meaningful. Jesus said, I'm, I'm before your possessions and I'm before any human being on this earth, Period. Only God can claim that over our lives. Only Jesus Christ can say these things as God and we understand the need of it. So what's holding you back? I mean, you know what? We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. We're going to do the, the storm at sea next, next week. We're going to stop right here. Because I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. What, what are you holding back? What's hindering you from following Jesus Christ with all of your heart, where he is the most vital relationship in you? Is it the next toy you want to buy or keep a hold of? The importance of this world and the values of this world? You know, you look at this world, you're going to get all shook up, all disturbed. Worry about what's going to be taken away from you. Well, let it all get taken away from you. Because you can't take Christ away. He is to be the essential thing. Is there a person in your life that's hindering in your mind and heart and soul? I am not saying go out and cut them off completely. I'm saying put Christ before that relationship in every case, even the case of a husband and wife. For years I did marriage retreats work with young married couples and middle married couples and, and we did it for a lot of years and, and really had I hope some success and the one thing that the wives came to me constantly over those years and said to me 
of what they wanted in their husband. It's a, it surprised me. I really thought it would be something different, but it was this, that my husband would love Jesus Christ with all of his heart and put Christ first. Not me first. Husbands, don't put your wives above Jesus Christ. Wives, don't put your husbands above Jesus Christ. Don't put your children's needs where you're so focused on the kids or the grandkids that you neglect your relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, they need me. They don't need you as much as you might think they need you. They need to see you looking away from them and on to Christ. That's what they need. Jesus in his wisdom tells the first man, a scribe, have no hole or nest. If you're going to follow me, life is going to be constantly upheaval. You may never know what's coming next. That's exciting. Don't get drawn to stuff and the address you live at. To the second man who came, who wanted to bury his father, he said, let's just just follow me right now. Stop making excuses. When this thing happens, I'll, I'll give you all my heart and I'll follow you wholeheartedly. Stop making excuses. Your father's going to get buried. Let those who are dead bury him. Live your life. This is the way, this, this is the way Adam should have lived out his life. And Eve in a garden. Garden dwelling. Let me throw three things at you. Probably one of them will be relevant for next week, but I'll just go throw them at you anyway. We have no permanent dwelling as disciples. You have a home, but it means less to you because heaven is your home. You have a home and you open it up to other people because the purpose of your home is not just to hang your hat. It's to be used for ministry of Jesus Christ. How open are you to open up your home to people and use it to the glory of God? You say, well, my home is, what does it matter what it looks like? If you're worried about what your home looks like to other people, then you haven't followed him to the point where it doesn't matter to you. Are you listening to me? Have no permanent dwelling. I love stories of parents who have gone through the teenage years and Lillian was telling me about their home where, where teenagers was flocked in there. Now, you don't get anything more messy or smelly than a teenager. Amen? Amen. But when you get a flock of those teenagers in your home and you got them all there, you know what's going on. You're listening. You got it. Number two, we have no relationship that is ever to be second to his. None. No mother, no father, no husband, no wife. Nothing comes, everything is to come in second to him. I don't use that as an excuse to neglect your relationships. Honey, I really would have cleaned the house today, but I was in prayer all day. I would have loved to cook supper, honey, but, you know, I was studying my Bible all day. <laughs> Don't do that. Because the most spiritual thing we can do is clean the house and cook a meal for somebody at times. 
But you know in your heart if somebody's slowing you down because of their, their whatever. Our lives are to be centered not on this relationship, but on this relationship. And when it's centered on him, everything else is really, it's great. It's better. Anything slowing you down? These are discipleships, questions. 